Hello and welcome to Unlock Your Vitality with Magali on a Journey. I'm your host, Magali Matthew. Here we cover all things vitality, that is living full of energy. From gut health to spirituality, nutrition to movement, we peel back the layers and unlock ways to heal and feel our best selves, one conscious habit at a time. Stick around, let's dive on in. I'm so excited you're here. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the show. I have a really exciting guest this week. We have Valerie Boudere. She is a certified sound practitioner, trauma-informed pause breathwork facilitator, a mindfulness teacher, and a human design transformational coach. She guides others towards self-discovery and self-healing with the principles of sound, movement, breath, and a connecting to nature inner traditions, and wisdom practices. Valerie, thank you so much for being here and welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for inviting me and having me. I am really so happy to be here. I'm so excited. So let's start with your story. I love to start, you know, painting a better picture for people who might not know uh, who you are and yeah, walk us through your story and and tell us how you got to be where you are today. Wonderful. So like you said, I'm Valerie Boudere. I live in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I'm the mom to three kids. And those are really the two most important things. But um, I haven't always lived in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And slightly just a couple months before COVID, I took the very large decision to leave my family and family home. Just to note, my children were all adults. I didn't leave little babies in the nest. Um, so that I could come to Santa Fe to recover and heal from narcissistic abuse. And so a few months prior to that, I was listening to the Narcissistic Summit on Sounds True. And on day one, they defined what a narcissist is. And I was actually at the summit listening for my own practice to work with my own clients who were suffering from narcissistic abuse. So on day one, they define narcissism and I'm going, Hmm, that sounds kind of familiar. Like what they were describing on some of the traits of a narcissist by day three, they were talking about narcissistic family systems and all the bells and whistles went off because I realized at that time, that I had been raised in a narcissistic family system, that I was married and I had raised my own children. And was we all were currently participating in a very well-established narcissistic family system. And so by day five, when a psychiatrist came on, I made an appointment with her the following week and spoke with her and wanted to know how I could, quote, heal my husband. And she said, the only person you can really heal is you. You're not in a safe place right now. Where could you go that you, you could be safe and that you can take the time and space to create the time and space you need to heal? Because this is going to be a while. This isn't something we do at a weekend retreat. And so when she asked me, she goes, rapid fire, where can you go? I said, Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I had only been here once before for two days. But then it, that kind of scared me oh, wow. that that came out of my mouth like that. And so the next day, I very timidly started Googling furnish short-term leases, Santa Fe, New Mexico. And the first one that came up was beautiful. I could afford it. 
I filled out an application and I got accepted. And I just said, well, when my son's done with his finals in college, we're going to drive to Santa Fe. And I've been here ever since. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Well, what a beautiful story. Thank you so much for sharing. And I love that first you obviously saw, you know, the things that you were living. And then as soon as you were kind of ready to take the steps, it was, it came in a flow. I think a lot of times we're so scared, right, to, to make those first moves. But I love that as you were obviously with the help of that psychologist, like ready to take that next step, that little by little things yeah. um, kind of flowed. Yeah, but I have to tell you, it wasn't easy. In that moment, it was easy. But when you look at the 15 to 20 years before that, of living in this cycle of a roller coaster of emotions, depression, sadness, feeling isolated, alone, and, you know, being in a narcissistic family, everything becomes your fault. You're oversensitive. You're over emotional. Just get over it. Choose to be happy. You know, all these things. Um, and so you go around 24 seven feeling like there's something wrong with you. But I think it was the validation of that summit. And I could really in that moment, see what I was dealing with. And until that moment, I never had thought it was narcissism. And so it was just like the rose colored glasses came off. I got my aha moment. And then I just took very decisive action and I felt very empowered doing that. Yeah. I love to hear that. So I think many of us might be surrounded by narcissistic personalities and not know it. How can we identify it? What was it within that Sounds True conference summit that you, you know, that really clicked for you? For anybody who might be realizing this is actually maybe something that's around me, um, what are some of the things that they can kind of help to, yeah, understand yeah. what it would look like? So one of the things that's really important to understand that narcissism is actually a dance. You start out with this love bomb. You can do no wrong. You're the smartest, most brilliant person. You dress the best. You make the best food. You read the best books. Like nothing is wrong with you. And then you come to this place where they start to devalue you. You're over emotional. Mm. Um, you're making stuff up. Why are you so dramatic? Have this place of great, I would say pathological inferiority complex. So they have to always be given the notice and the attention. So they're usually the center of attention. They're always telling their stories. They negate your feelings. There's no ownership. They take no responsibility. So if you say that really hurt my feelings, what you're saying is not even factual. Mm -hmm. They just cannot contain their emotions and go ballistic. Sometimes there's different types of narcissism and it's also a spectrum. So you may have some traits and not all of them. And then you may have full blown narcissistic personality disorder. So there's a lot of being grandiose. There's a lot of putting on a good face. There's a lot of shaming. There's a lot of guilt. Oh, but let's keep everything secret. There's a lot of emotional outburst. They cannot contain their emotions. Um, so then you'll be in that devaluing cycle. 
um, where they're exploding and you're stupid and don't you know anything? Um, and then they kind of get this self check. Um, there's actually no empathy whatsoever, only for themselves. So you could be like literally suffering from cancer, recovering from a horrible illness, and they will say what they're going through is worse than what you're going through. Are you like a work situation? I have so much work. I, I have to work the weekend. They will create a situation that's even worse than yours. And why don't you give them more support? And why don't you um, show up for them? And they don't ever show up for you. And if you bring up to them that they're not owning their stuff and they're not taking responsibility, always a huge explosion follows. So it's this dance. Then when they check in, and go, oh, maybe I overreacted. Then the flowers, the candy, the jewelry, the gifts come in. And then you have a little bit of calm. Um, and then we do the cycle all over again until you're devalued. Then there's the final one of discarding. And you see this a lot in narcissistic family systems or in narcissistic work systems where there's a scapegoat where everybody mobs that person. You know, it's like you can emotionally dump, insult, whatever, mob that person. At some point, they get either disowned. Like if you see family members that are getting disowned, immediately red flag, this is a narcissistic family system. Or at least at the very least, there's codependency patterns there. Um, at work, people can get fired, get demoted down to the basement in the mailroom or something. You know, um, there's always a discardment. But the most times when it's between in a relationship, you're going to see the love bombing, the devaluing, and then love bombing, and then devaluing. And so these are some of the signs. Yeah. And what a then difficult situation to leave because you might interpret that love bombing for actual real love, right? And that feeling like you're in this space of, oh, but wait, does this person actually love me? And then forgetting about the devaluing? Well, is what ends up happening is when they turn around and they go, oh, yeah, well, here, I brought you these flowers today. They never own that they just eviscerated you, right? So, oh, I, I, found, I saw these flowers at the store. I brought them to you. Or I went on a trip and I brought you this bracelet. And that's just to say, like, you have to accept my behavior. And in your mind, you go, oh, they're really not that bad. Maybe they were just having an off day. You start rationalizing this really irrational behavior. And then it becomes the norm. And the longer this dance goes on, the shorter the time periods come between the devaluing and the reconciling and going back into the pattern. And in my own situation, we just got to the place of constant devaluing. There was no more counteracting. So that that's kind of the way it goes. So in your own mind, especially if you have a family and you have children, you're thinking, I don't want to uproot my three kids. I, okay, okay, he's not so bad. Maybe I was off. You know, you start doubting yourself. Oh, maybe it is me, you know? And um, the one thing about that summit was that I could see when I was hearing other people's stories and felt like we had a support group going there, I'm going, oh my goodness, like this is really what I'm dealing with. Hmm, yeah, wow. I'm so sorry that you dealt with that. And so you took that brave step, right, of leaving. 
And then I'm assuming the healing was able to really begin, right? That was a huge first step. But what what did you do? What were the healing modalities? How did you start your healing journey? So when you're coming out of narcissistic abuse, you are in a state of active trauma. And that means that your whole frontal lobe, this part of your brain is offline. When you're in flight or fight, freeze and fawning, fawning is people pleasing, doing anything to get anybody's attention. That's also part of a trauma response. So your frontal lobe is offline. You can't make decisions. So the number one thing that you have to do is stabilize your nervous system. And one of the best tools I've used for that was breath work. And I even became certified in breath work. It was such an amazing modality because you, your body and your nervous system never forgets anything that has ever happened to you. And your mind makes it up all the time. Like 80% of the time, your mind is lying to you. It sees things differently, but your nervous system knows the truth of what happened to you. And so by breathing it out, you literally release your vagus nerve. You release all of that trauma in your nervous system and all that energy that's being held. You just breathe it out. And it looks like a hot mess sometimes. But then after that session, you feel so like uh, expansive and like there's room in there and grief and sadness and depression is held in the lungs. And so our thoracic cavity gets smaller. And that's why you feel like you have shortness of breath when you're in an activated trauma response, uh, because you, you are not using your thoracic muscles to really breathe. So doing breath work really creates the room in your thoracic cavity, which is the biggest cavity in the body. It's, you know, your chest all the way down to the bottom of your ribs. It goes your back, your chest, your like, it takes up a large part of your body. Um, so that was one regulating the nervous system. And then the next thing I did, it's really important. I want to say this, that it's not just a modality, but to build a healing team around yourself. So, um, I had a breathwork coach. I had a coach that did neuro-linguistic programming. So narcissistic abuse literally brainwashes you and programs your mind in a certain way. And your body's creating chemicals to keep that depression, that sadness, that isolation alive. So you're going to have to reprogram your brain. So you're now your nervous system is stabilized. So I would do an hour of breath work with a coach. And then I would come and do an hour and a half of neuro-linguistic programming. And I did that for four months. Um, and then as I was watching how my triggers were going, as my triggers subsided, because neuro NLP, it's called, really does away with the triggers. Breath work does away with the triggers. Then I came into therapy. And other people I know have done EMDR, especially if they are suffering from post-traumatic stress. So all of these modalities. So I had a whole team of people and then going to the sauna and, you know, acupuncture, if you like that, or massages, really that self-care, but it's a whole team that you're going to build to support you. We do not heal alone. And, you know, when we are in a state of active trauma, our brain is telling us, I can do this all by myself. I don't want to bother anybody. I don't need anyone. That's actually a symptom of your trauma. And so actually we need a lot of people 
and then supportive family members who you can pick the phone up at 3 a.m. and talk to. Um, it's really important to sit with yourself and go, who do I need on my team? And, and then build a team. Yeah. If you have the resources, right. Being willing to allocate them in, in that, because I think sometimes when we start to see the need of building the team, some people who are in this space will be like, Oh, but I shouldn't be spending all this money, especially if they're a parent. Yeah. I love that you say the importance of really building the team and um, that it is a part of the trauma that is telling us not to. Right, right. And if, you know, financial resources are an issue, there's lots of places that you can go. There's so many people that are certifying in these modalities that they need people to work with. And they need to work with people six weeks, eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks. So like call up an NLP certification program and go, can I volunteer? you know, to be in your coaching program or call up a breathwork facilitator program and go, you know, how long is the certification process? How long do they have to work with people? So oftentimes I was working with people six weeks, nine weeks, 12 weeks, three months. And so, you know, I got my chops doing that. And then I had all the support I needed getting my facilitator training from the staff at the school. You know, that person actually ended up getting more support than if they had paid for it because they had two or three highly licensed professionals watching me. And so then coming back with feedback. And so there are ways to get the help if you cannot financially afford it. And then you can always ask any practitioner if they have a sliding fee scale or if they take scholarships or if they give scholarships and um, most good practitioners do. Those are some ways to get yourself the help you're needing. And I always say, do these things stabilize your nervous system uh, before going into talk therapy? I was going to say, tell us more about that. And also, um, I think for those listening, NLP is something that is maybe new and not like breathwork. Some people can imagine what that would look like, right? But what does the NLP healing, what did that look like? And then yes, why did you go into that before talk therapy? Okay. So NLP is neuro-linguistic programming. And is what we're doing is we're releasing the programming we currently have. And it's a type of hypnosis, but it is a very light trans state. Meaning like if you yelled fire, I could get right up and run out of the building. So you are consciously aware and have total sovereignty and control of your faculties the entire time. So um, it's a part of getting into a trans state then releasing the old programming and then putting on top of that um, a new programming. And so is what that does is create new neural pathways in the brain. So things that wire together, wire together. So if you stop those ruminating thoughts like, I'm worthless, I'm so stupid, nobody loves me, when you stop wiring those, the ridges in your brain actually disappear and the ends of those nerves disintegrate. And so as that process is happening, we want to immediately create new neuron firings that support you and your nervous system and really support your truth and your authenticity. And then, so 
after I come out of a trans state, which is directed by a facilitator, there's usually several journaling questions to answer. So oftentimes I'll journal before I'll go through the session and I'll journal after and reading back those journal responses. So healing our inner child, most of our wounding in the nervous system happens between the age of zero and 14. And some say zero and seven. And then we just repeat those patterns until we're sick of them <laughs> and we go to redo them. So NLP is this beautiful way of rewiring the brain and you get to really see what was happening, that you are empowered to change it and create a new reality for yourself. So everything we're seeing in our outside world is literally a mirror and a reflection for what we're thinking and feeling in our inside world. So as you change how you think and feel on your inside world, your outside world changes too. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much for explaining that. Um, I've had a few um, NLP sessions and yeah, they're very, very powerful for sure. And so tell us why you decided to go to those modalities or healing practices before, um, before going to talk therapy. I had, before I took this great journey to Santa Fe, New Mexico, I was already a sound therapist. And so in sound therapy school, we knew very much about trauma to the nervous system and our mind, our brain and our nervous system. They're very connected. They're like one unit. Um, so our brain cannot tell time, believe it or not. And so when we tell a story about something very traumatic that happened to us, a car accident, a divorce, um, you know, small T trauma is notifications going off on your phone incessantly, being um, in a fire. What There's so many things, losing your job. There's so many things that can really bring trauma to us, fighting in a war, living in a war zone, um, climate change and all the hurricanes, tornadoes, you know, losing your home, your memories, you know, all these things are highly traumatic illness as well. Uh, when we go to retell those stories for our brain and our nervous system, it's as if it's happening right now. The brain cannot tell the difference between yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so if we start talk therapy, and this is my personal opinion, um, but when we start talk therapy immediately and we're retelling these stories, we are re-traumatizing ourselves. So we come in to a therapist office in active trauma, and then we just deepen that trauma, right? Um, and if you feel like going to a talk therapist first, please get one that is trauma certified. And I say trauma certified as opposed to trauma informed. Trauma certified, they've gone through two years of a uh, practitioner ship and residency, and they will know how to prompt you to tell your story so you don't re-traumatize yourself, right? When you get to this place of doing things like breathwork, EMDR, NLP, all these acronyms, then when you go into a talk therapist and you're telling your story, oftentimes you are no longer triggered by it. And you can tell it like, this crazy thing happened to me, but I'm working my way through it. And now, you know, I need to learn to do this in my life. What can you help me with, you know, um, how to reestablish my sovereignty or how to set boundaries? Or I need to work on codependent behavior patterns, which are just 
it's just synonymous with narcissism and those systems, right? I think I love talk therapy and I've really benefited from it. So I don't want any of our therapists, colleagues, and friends thinking I'm, I'm dashing it. I just want everybody, if you're going to take this healing journey, I want you to know it's a life journey. Um, and so you want, you want to have the, the most wonderful team that supports you and how you're needing to um, be supported in there, but also to really be able to benefit from all the amazing therapies out there. And that includes talk therapy. And when you're not being triggered and re-traumatized, you can really move mountains in talk therapy. So that's why I say that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. I've personally been doing um, a lot of Reiki and sound healing along with talk therapy. And I find that there are like, when I do a Reiki sound healing session, and then a few days later have a therapy session, it's just a totally different world. Um, yeah, I'm able to see things just more clearly. And as you said, not not from that place of pain, but from a place of I understand that this happened. And what are the things that I can make sure to do to not have that behavior again? And how can I work on that? So, so, you know, when we bring sound therapy and Reiki into the mix, sound therapy, especially with those very specific instruments are unifying both hemispheres of your brain. So you're coming to your healing from a place of literal, your brain is from a place of wholeness and your vagus nerve mm -hmm. has unwound. So it's not activated. And so Reiki does that and sound does that. So really you're coming in as an observer and a, a receiver. You know, you can come to that place with kind of your, um, in a released state. Mm -hmm. I love that. And so what kind of sound therapy, um, do you do? What does the practice look like for people who might be curious? Yeah. So sound therapy, I'm going to put it in general terms. Sound therapy uses instruments that sound one fundamental note and then ring off in a series of overtones following the Fibonacci sequence. And when they do that, it stabilizes both hemispheres of the brain. It relaxes the nervous system um, so that you can really receive the healing that you need. Um, the instruments themselves are healing to the nervous system and to your energy field. And so within that very broad definition, each instrument grouping has specific things such as tuning forks. So I can help stabilize your nervous system, but I can also get into your energy field, also known as a biofield. And I can literally use the tuning forks as sonar and I can hear from the edge of your body, where I'm camera going outwards like tree rings. And I can hear where in your life little blips on the screen happen to you. So the energy field nearest your body is what's happened most recently. And then going out 10, 12 feet is what happened when you were a little girl, a small child, an infant. And beyond that is ancestral. And we can hear that as well. So then I take the tuning forks and I start moving that energy out and we're talking the whole time. And, you know, you're bringing up memories or things, you know, and we move those out of your energy field and we clear it. So that's just one, that's just one group of instruments. You know, there's 
drum therapy and Himalayan bull therapy. And at um, Mongata, I have a, a sound and breathwork healing center in Santa Fe. I have a monochord table. So it looks like a massage table, but you find out really quickly. It's a lot more. So you lay on that table underneath. I get on the floor like a sound mechanic. And I'm literally on the floor underneath that bed playing 60 strings. Wow. And the whole bed vibrates. And people have the most amazing experiences. People who have transitioned over come back and speak with them. Angels are heard. Ganesh makes a lot of appearances in that studio. It used to be a yoga studio before me. <laughs> and I think Ganesh has just remained and stayed with us. Yeah. Then there's gong therapy and crystal bowl therapy. And each group of instruments brings a different type of healing at a different level. And um, so then when you go to something like a sound bath, you're teaching your brain and your ears, which is connected to your vagus nerve, by the way. Um, our ears are the second sense to come online in when we're in utero. At 16 weeks, our ears kick in. And it's the last sense to go when we're transitioning. So, and it's connected to the largest nerve in our body. So when you're at a sound bath, you're teaching your ears how to listen deeply. And then as you listen deeply to the sounds fading off and new sounds coming in, you take that all in. But then when you leave sound bath and you go out into your everyday life, you listen deeply there too. You hear things differently. Mm -hmm. And you feel things mm -hmm. differently. Yeah. I can hear the beautiful birds behind you as you're saying all of this. <laughs> we have some robins in, in the garden that are just the happiest little songbirds. They're just so happy. Yes. You sound like it. Um, and it's awesome what you were saying about the tuning forks, because I've had experiences with Reiki and healing and Shiatsu massage. Um, my One of my teachers, uh, her name is Cindy. She does all of this, um, but it's so interesting knowing what tuning forks does, that your therapy includes conversation and then kind of removing that. I love that. I've had this one experience with um, this gong. It was a Sedna gong. Um, and I had no idea who Sedna was, what the story behind um, kind of, yeah, the the beautiful, you know, mother of the ocean and all of these things. And in that moment, as the gong was sounding, I saw myself go to the bottom of the ocean and then being thrown out. And there was just a bunch of other things that I saw in that moment. And when I stopped and I, or at the end of the session, when I shared this with my teacher, she was like, oh yeah, that was Sedna. Sedna was calling you and doing all these things. And so it's just so beautiful that sound can help us have these, yeah, beautiful healing moments and visions, and we can learn so much about ourselves. Yeah, exactly. I have a Sedna connection too. And um, so yeah. I had a dream of Sedna like in 2015, and it ended up taking me to Scandinavia where my family is from and studying with a very brilliant mm -hmm. teacher there for the last six years. So that was my Sedna dream. She can be fierce, but she's amazing at the wow. same time. Yeah. Yes. Fierce for sure. <laughs> I love it. Um, one of the things that we haven't yet talked about is human design. I was first introduced to it uh, last year and I looked it up before we started. I'm a 5'1 splenic projector. 
So, but yeah, tell us how did you get into human design and what, first of all, what is it for somebody that doesn't know and how can um, you bring this into their healing journey? Well, human design is the system of the synthesis of four wisdom traditions. So chakras, um, the I Ching, which is the 64 gates, your astrology and the Kabbalah. The channel systems are from the Kabbalah, the book of, or the tree of life from the Jewish, the mystic Jewish tradition. And in like 1987, this man, uh, Ra Uruhu, who was living on the island of Ibiza, had this vision dream state for eight days, eight nights. And whatever this entity was, was talking to him, was telling him how to put these together to teach humanity how to live their design so the conflict on this planet can end. And so um, I first became introduced to it three years ago. One of my girlfriends became a reader and she goes, can I give you a human design reading? I'm going, what is this? I've never even heard of it. And as she, you know, she gave me like an hour reading. And during the course of this hour, it was nearly spooky. It's like she knew every cell of my body and it wasn't her. She was reading my chart. And so then it, I just fell in love with human design. And I've been studying it the last three years because, you know, as I work as a sound therapist or in a healing modality, in a healing center, in many modalities, Oftentimes, the big nugget is trying to figure out not what's wrong with people, right? We need to ask a different question. We need to ask what's happened to people. Because when you're in emotional trauma or mental illness or emotional illness, it has to do with what's happened to you. And so that's a lot of the time that we spend in our sessions is thinking, what's happened to them? Finding out this tool, human design, I put in, it's just like astrology. I put in your name your birth date, the time you were born and the place you were born and your body graph chart comes up. And I can look at that and go, okay, this is what's going on. And so this actually I was using as a, a diagnostic tool, so to speak. So I knew really mm -hmm. where we needed to focus our sessions so that we could give people maximum healing. Um, and I don't look at myself as a healer. I want to just be on the record. I look at everybody that walks through the door as their own best healer. And I think that's way more empowering than giving it off to somebody else. You know, I'm just as human as everybody else. So um, I love to empower people that everything they need is already there with them. So that's how I came into human design. I've been studying with several teachers over the last three years and I am a one, three gen sacral generator. You know, I love learning. I love adventures and new things. And, um, you know, I have a motor, so I have endless energy and, um, I follow my gut intuition. I follow my gut intuition. Yeah. And so splenic, uh, projector is all about intuition. Do you have a deep intuition? Yes. You just know things, a lot of things deeply? Yes. 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 And part of my healing journey has been coming back to that because I was in a previous job and um, started a, a company previously that led to a burnout because I wasn't listening to that intuition. I was ignoring it. 
and it manifested in gut health issues and yeah, and a lot of, you know, I wasn't listening. And so my body found the ways to show me that I wasn't listening. Um, and I'm still working through that. As you said, healing is a journey. I also love what you said of you don't call yourself a healer, but everybody is their own best healer. I believe that so much too. And I felt that in my support system, my healing system that you called it at the beginning, the ones that have helped me the most have been the ones that have helped me reconnect to that intuition and show me that, yeah, I have the power uh, to heal mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are such wise beings. And it's not just in this form, our energetic body coming off of us, our higher selves. Um, we just have mm-hmm. access to so much power and so much wisdom. Uh, but, you know, the times we're living in dumb us down, actually. And when we talk about living our design, we're talking about living our experiment. So go into it like an experiment. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's just having awareness and and relieving yourself of resistance or knowing yourself so well that you know what's going to trigger you. And you'll have an anecdote for that. Okay, when this happens and this is what I'm going to do, which is also a form of self-care. It's just semantics, you know? So just having a really deep awareness of who you are. And when we live our design, then we're living in our own flow and we can be of such great service to the world and the people and animals and planet itself. So um, I just love human design. It's, it's so magical. You know, just these big aha moments and, and I love watching people live their design. So oftentimes when you go to a reader, they're just going to spew all this information about your chart in an hour and you're left like deer in the headlights, just overwhelmed. So what I like to do is, um, do transformational coaching. So along the way, I'm asking really in-depth questions. So we, I have what I call a foundational reading. And um, coming up next week on mangata.org, we are, you'll be able to get your free chart and then you'll be able to get your personalized blueprint also. And if you're looking for something deeper, I do private readings. Um, but that's always, I'll give you a bit of information and then I'm going to say, is that in alignment with you? Or when you get upset, is this how you behave? What would feel better for you? So like we're taking all this information and applying it to their personal life so that they really know what to do with this information. Otherwise, it's just like information. And it might seem really fun at the moment because I know so much about you by reading a chart. But at the end of the day, that information's for you to go out and just live the best life possible, your very best life. Yeah, I love that. Because I think a lot of times you can just do a one time reading and then not actually learn how to work with it. So I love that you help people do that. Talk to us about Mangata, this beautiful healing center that you've created. Yes. So as we were going through our great pandemic, um, I really was getting uh, pings, if you will, or great strong intuitions that the modalities I was using to help myself and I have become certified, board certified in and licensed in that I really just wanted a beautiful place where people could come and feel safe to heal. And so I created Mongata Healing Center in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And um, it has, it's been open a year and it has just been one of the best things 
I have ever done. And it's so exciting to meet people and watch their journey and support them and give them space to do that. A beautiful community is creating itself. Um, right now I'm working on some online things so people who don't live in Santa Fe can enjoy what we do there as well. But just given my age, you know, my children are all grown up. I'm really at this beautiful place in my life that I can be of really devoted service. And so using sound and breath and human design, um, that's how I'm going to move forward for the, the remainder of my days. May they be long. <laughs> May. And yeah. so really just, you know, being of service. Hmm. I love that. That's so beautiful. Um, thank you so much. This has been such an amazing conversation. We're going to get into the little rapid fire where I ask um, a few questions that you can just kind of answer. But before I do that, um, tell us more if people are curious and they want to join, where can they find you? How can they be a part of uh, your beautiful journey? Wonderful. So you can find me at Mongata, M-O-N-G-A-T-A dot Org. Um, also ValerieBoudere.com, which will just lead you to Mongata.org. So Mongata is a Swedish word. My family's Swedish. That means the full moon reflecting on water. But when the full moon reflects on water, it creates a pathway. And if you walk or swim that pathway, you're going inside the moon, but into your inner journey. So it's a place about your inner journey and giving you the support and the beauty and the compassion that each one of us is needing. Mm, that's so beautiful. I love that. All right. Thank you. So this podcast is called Unlock Your Vitality. So the first question is, how do you unlock your vitality these days? What's like a habit or something that you're exploring to feed uh, that energy within you? I love to walk. And walking just brings up all these creative ideas. And I just kind of go offline in some ways. And I live in this beautiful area of New Mexico. And each neighborhood has like 30 miles of walking trails. So I love to walk and get out in nature. And if I don't get to do that, I get really grumpy. So that's that's my vitality go-to. <laughs> I love that. The next one is, what are you saying no to these days? Oh, this is kind of a complex one. I am, I am no longer available for people who want to impact me or my kids negatively. So that's, I'm just not available for that. I'm not, a, I'm not a dumping ground you know? So, um, mm -hmm. I'm not available for yeah. that. That's beautiful. What is on your nightstand? Books. I have a Kindle and then I've got like five <laughs> or six books. I love reading voracious reader. And mm -hmm. so yeah, books, always books. Love that. And then the last one is if you could go back and tell your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? Love yourself first. You are the most important thing in your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much, Valerie, for this beautiful conversation. I'm so excited to share it with our audience. It was beautiful to share this time with you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you, guys. Bye and see you next week. Bye.